Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark 9, 30-37 They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were too afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who is the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he would be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Who receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Hill City Church. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. It's an honor. Let me start and say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. What a great day. Cannot do it without you guys. Oh, man, I hope you have a wonderful day. Good lunch, good time. Maybe get a nap. I don't know. Whatever you need. Hopefully you get it. So it wasn't that many decades ago. It wasn't that long ago at all. Um, where when you would call someone a goat, it was not a compliment. <laughs> but something changed uh, over the last 10 years. It was actually before uh, 10 years ago, where now if, if you're called a goat, like that, that's kind of a big deal, uh, meaning the greatest of all time. Um, I, I did some research, some, I mean, some deep dive here, too. So in case you're wondering, where, where did this term goat come from? Like, why do we start saying greatest of all time and calling people goat? And actually, in 1992, it was Muhammad Ali's wife started an LLC, and she, and she called it goat, greatest of all time. And it was ways that they could continue to make money off of Muhammad Ali's name and likeness. Now, now, now you didn't know that. Maybe two of you might have known that. A few more of you might know that, that a great philosopher named LL Cool J uh, had a song uh, in 2000 that he called Goat, the Goat, the greatest of all time. Uh, he's not even close, okay? Not that I'm a rap, uh, a rap expert, but I wouldn't even have LL on the top 10, okay, for what it's worth. The greatest of all time. You know, the world has its, has, has its way it measures, and, and so I did another deep dive and went to the greatest place you could ever do research, and by the greatest, I mean the worst, which is the internet, and, and I saw some articles like, five simple steps to achieve greatness. There were some doozies in there. You might want to read that, okay? And then 10 things that successful people do to achieve greatness, and then the very best one, and by very best one, I mean literally the worst was a simple three-step process to achieving greatness. And, and one of the things was that you define your greatness. Now, that's the most 2023 thing I read this week. You just make up your own definition. Like, whoa. Jesus, our king, actually set the record straight a few thousand years ago on greatness. 
And I want to take a look. Because we always want to get God's opinion. And so God, here we are, we open up your word and we pray every week. Not in vain repetition, but, but with sincere hearts that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your word. God, I pray that we see what you say about greatness and that we follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So by way of review, we have been in the gospel of Mark. We started at the beginning of the year. And if you remember, Mark is this action-packed gospel. It's short. It's to the point. Mark kind of speaks my language. He uses less words. That's really good for a guy like me. There's one point Mark always keeps driving home throughout this whole gospel, and that is this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. And, and, and in Mark, he, he has Jesus going somewhere all the time. Jesus is going somewhere. And out of the gate, you see immediately, 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 he is headed somewhere. And where is he headed? He is headed to a hill. And he's headed to a hill called Calvary. And we're getting closer to that hill. Last week in Mark chapter 9, we saw the transfiguration of Jesus where it was, was Jesus. He, he had this veiled glory and he, and he pulls back the veil to show his glory. But the rest of chapter 9, which is where we are, are, are today, there was this, there's this theme that sort of emerged, emerges in chapter 9. And I have to tell you, and I don't do this very often, but I found myself in this text over and over and over again. I'm reading it, and I'm like, boom, there I am. I want to be careful with that, because we go to a text to see Jesus, but I think I can make that make sense. Now, what I want to do, because we're going to fly over a lot of Mark chapter 9, here is my encouragement, my challenge to you, please, please go read Mark chapter 9 today, and just some of this will even make more sense there's a lot there. We, we read verses 30 through 37. We are going to be all over the rest of the chapter. Now, as we read verse 30 and 37, you probably noticed a familiar scenario. Here Jesus is, and he predicts his suffering. He predicts his passion for a second time. And for a second time, the disciples will immediately have a slip-up upon hearing this news. And for a second time, Jesus will come in behind this slip-up and teach something very profound. So the first time, Jesus said, I must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer. He must be killed. And Peter steps up and he rebukes Jesus. You guys remember this. He says, no, this can't happen to a Messiah. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. And, and Peter was speaking on behalf of all the disciples. It wasn't just Peter. And then he, he responds with a profound teaching about what following Jesus has to look like. A Messiah must suffer, and if you're going to follow this Messiah, you must take up your cross and follow me. You must lose your life in order to save it. And here, a second time, Jesus tells his disciples what it means to be the Messiah, and then he follows it up with what it means to follow this Messiah. Now, the Markin scholar here, Edwards, and in case you're wondering, I know there are like five or six of you that kind of nerd out, and, and, and I just want you to know, like through this whole series, these have been my two main resources, okay? So it's Stein and it's Edwards. You want to read Markin scholars? Here you go. Stein's way better for me because he has these like 
summaries. He like gets super smart and then he summarizes it. I'm like, okay, I can, I can drink that. But for those of you who might want to see these or know, th- these, are my so- these are my sources here. And it's Edwards who says, man, we must notice here in the middle of Mark where Jesus' pace slows. So immediately, immediate, uh, immediately, immediately. But here, as he's getting closer to the cross, his pace slows. But it doesn't slow because he's trying to delay the, uh, his time going to the cross. It slows because he has some very important things that he must teach before he suffers. And he starts here with the greatest news you're ever going to hear in your life. They passed through Galilee. It says, he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, and when he's killed after three days, he will rise again. If you, if you write in your Bibles, I just want you to underline this. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And I don't want you to miss, miss this. Mark is doing something here. Jesus is doing something. Mark records it. You need to see. He's going to be delivered into the hands of men. He is assuring his readers. He's assuring you and me thousands of years later that Jesus' death is no accident. Jesus' death is no catastrophe. Isaiah 53 told us this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Jesus is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Who is going to deliver him into the hands of men? Here's your answer. You ready? God the Father is going to deliver his son into the hands of the wicked for the sake of the hands of the wicked you get this he's going to be delivered into the hands of sinners for the sake of the sinners so we got to stop we have to stop right here right now have you thought about the love of God the Father and how he loves sinners like you and me. His innocent, perfect, spotless son delivered to the wicked for the wicked. This is the greatest news that you could ever hear in your life. It was God's plan. God was in charge. So Jesus tells the disciples and the disciples still don't get it. These guys struggle to get it. In other words, they know the truth of Scripture, or they know the truth of God's Word, right? And and it's like Jesus has told them this multiple times, and they don't get it. And I'm reading it, and I'm going, there I am. Found myself in the text, not getting it. Just me. Anybody else have struggled not getting it this week? Listen, we have it written down. We know how the story ends. We know 
and we still we don't get it, and we got way more than the disciples. So let's not be hard on these guys. I'm reading it, and I'm seeing that they don't get it. I'm like, why do I got to find myself there in the text? How do we know that they didn't get it? Well, verse 33 and 34, here they are. Kind of like uh, moms, deal, moms see this in their house all the time, like, kind of like kids, right? Uh, what were you discussing on the way, Jesus asked. They're traveling, and it says, they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who would be the greatest. Does that sound familiar? Any, any car rides this week, moms? Something like that? They're arguing about who would be the greatest. So here we go. Jesus predicts his passion, and then we have a discipleship, or a disciple screw-up. Like, they're, they're arguing about who would be the greatest. So what does Jesus do? Oh, Jesus, he's brilliant. He sits these great ones down. Boys, come here. Sit down, oh, great ones. Now, Jesus wasn't that sarcastic. That's my sarcasm. I don't, he, he's too good for that, okay? So I don't want to read something into Scripture. Oh, but he sits them down. He gives them a lesson on kingdom greatness. Listen, no tricks, no big reveal at the end. Kingdom greatness only comes through humility. That's what Jesus is going to teach here. He takes a child, puts on his lap after he says, if anyone be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now listen, let's, let's be careful here. This child is not the example that we're supposed to look to and say, be like that child. That's not what scripture is teaching here. See, Jesus is so brilliant. What he does, he takes this child and he puts this child on his lap. And now these ones who are arguing about being great, now they slip into the background. That's what Mark does. Anytime the spotlight tries to go to someone else, Mark says, no, 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 back to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus does this by putting this kid on his lap. Now Jesus is there. And, he put, and this child, we need to understand, we have time to go all the way into it. This child would represent this, this powerless person, this person that has no position, this, this person that had nothing to offer. And Jesus says, listen, when there's nothing in it for you, when you serve this person who cannot give you something back, still serve them. That's greatness. That was the path of our king. Listen, Jesus doesn't need anything from us. We have nothing to offer Jesus. Yet, here it is, we've talked about this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for people that can do nothing for him. That is kingdom greatness. But chapter 9, right? There's a theme all throughout chapter 9 where you have these pride-filled moments. So you have this passage that we, that we just talked about. Here it is in the middle of Mark chapter 9. And on the back end of the passage, you see these pride-filled moments. And right before this passage, you see these pride-filled moments. So, so if you look, verse 38 
through 41. I'll just read it real quick. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. What? And Jesus is like, don't stop him. Don't do that. So, what, so what's going on here? And again, I'm going to paraphrase that. I want you to read Mark chapter 9. But, but we must see this, this inflated self-importance. Of, of the disciples, and specifically John, but again, John's speaking on behalf of the disciples uh, very likely here, but this is like, hey, Jesus, they weren't following us. Now, what we should have expected is this, Jesus, we tried to stop them because they weren't following you. Now, that would have made some sense, but that's not what we see here. The disciples thought that they were more important than what they were. There I am. There I am in the text again. And listen, like if this is the disciples, like here's Brad. Because here they are saying, hey, they're, they're, they're casting out demons. Like where I think I'm way more important is in the Chick-fil-A line. Like, do you not know how important I am? You're going to go this slowly? It's a chicken sandwich. for. Now listen, they crush it over there, all right, with the speed of getting through line. But, but if they're ever just a little bit slow, man, I start thinking I'm pretty important. But I think there's more here for us to see, just briefly, with what's really going on here. And, I, and, I, and listen... Church people can be the worst about this. We can. Hey, what are they doing over there up the highway? Listen, and we do plenty wrong here at Hill City. I know we have a lot of new people. We have some guests. Okay, listen. We don't have everything right. We do things differently. It doesn't mean that we're better. We don't have time to talk about what's going on up the highway or down the road. We have a mission and vision that we, be, we believe the Lord has given us, and we are going to go after that vision. And when you're talking about things going on at other churches, you are wasting time. And it actually lacks humility. Verse 42 through 50, some other pride-filled situations. Now, this is, this is what the scholars would call metaphoric hyperbole. Jesus starts talking about chopping off body parts. <laughs> like, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eyes, gouge them out. Listen. He doesn't mean to be doing this literally. You guys know this. What's going on here? A lot. I don't have time to unpack all this. But when you see eyes and hands and feet, we're talking about, hey, what we view, what we do, where we go. Hey, if any of that causes you to be further from Jesus, get rid of it. Now, why would we not get rid of something that keeps us from Jesus? 
answer, pride. God, I know better than you. I can't, I can't get rid of this. It's pride that keeps us holding on to things that keep us from Jesus. And his word would say, cut them off. Some of you in this room, you're holding on to a relationship and it's keeping you from Jesus and you need to cut it off. And it's going to be painful. Some of you are holding on to an activity and it's keeping you from Jesus. Cut it off. Some of you are holding on to an attitude. There I am. There I am. You know what feels good? You know what feels good to me? I'm just going to tell you. This is some transparency confession. You know what feels really good? Anger. Just getting mad. Feels good. Comes, comes really natural to me. It's pride. Cut it off. Now that comes after this situation where Jesus teaches what kingdom greatness is, but there's a situation that happens before this. Before Jesus predicts his second, for the second time his suffering, something happened. Pride had crept in. I want us to see this. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. Remember, Jesus and the three, they're up on this mount, this mountaintop experience, and they come down and immediately they see crowds gathered and there's an argument going on. And it's the disciples, the nine remaining, and the scribes. And, and, and there's this thing that happens. And in verse, we start, starts in verse 14. They came down, they saw a great crowd. And they ran up and they saw Jesus come and they greeted him. But Jesus says, what are you arguing with them? Why are you arguing, arguing with them? And we need to see this. This is like big brother, protector Jesus. He's actually talking to the scribes. He sees something going on, and he steps in between disciples and the scribes, right? And he's like, why are you arguing with them? I'm here. What do you got to say? Well, what's funny is the scribes didn't even have a chance to answer. Why are you arguing with them? Verse 17, someone blurts out from the crowd. Who was it? It's a hurting father. He had brought his son who had suffered from epilepsy but also had an evil spirit. And he brought his son to be healed. He had heard of what Jesus could do. He would heard what Jesus' disciples could do. He brought his son to be healed. And the disciples couldn't do it. Teacher, I brought my son to you for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And he tells Jesus the story. I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Listen, we, we must, we must hear and experience the kind voice of our king right here. This is fascinating. See his compassion. He goes to the hurting father. Can you just see him? Hey, how long has this been going on? 
Listen, Jesus wasn't after information. He wasn't after data. He's Jesus. He knew. He knew how long this was going on. What's he doing? He, he goes to this hurting father and he, and he invites the hurting father to share his heart because Jesus is so full of compassion. He could have walked by, never acknowledged the father, never acknowledged the son, said, healed, I'm out of here. This crowd's bothering me. Uh, this crowd's pressing upon me. He didn't even have to say a word, but that's not what he does. Why? Because he loves so much. He loved this father. He loved the boy. And he loves you. He said, how long has this been going on? Tell me. Tell me your story. So the father tells the story. He says, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. Jesus, if you can do anything, help us. Help now, why wouldn't he say if? Why wouldn't he have a little bit of a lack of faith? He just witnessed the disciples, these followers of Jesus. They were unable to do it. Of course he'd say, if, if. And Jesus responds, if all things are possible for one who believes. So now, listen, now we got to have a little conversation. we got to have a little conversation about faith. If you read this and you put the emphasis on faith for healing, you've missed it. If you read this and you put the emphasis on the disciples' inability to heal, you've missed it. The emphasis of this passage is on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the emphasis. And it's him who says, all things are possible Listen, all things are possible with Jesus. Amen, Hill City? Okay. We, gotta, we can agree on that. There's no such thing as a degree of difficulty for our king. There's no such thing. But what we have to be careful of is, is reading a sentence, and then what happens is we, we put our faith in our faith. And not in Jesus. May we not put our faith in our faith. Because what we'll see in this passage is the doubts and the disbeliefs of this, this crowd that already saw the disciples fail. The doubts and disbeliefs of the Father who already saw the disciples fail. Those doubts and disbeliefs, they did not determine whether or not Jesus was willing or able to heal this boy. And I want to tell you this. Okay, please get this. It's a very cruel thing. And I'm not even saying it's intentionally cruel. I'm just telling you it's a very cruel thing to look at someone suffering and tell them it's because of your lack of faith. Plenty, plenty of faith-filled Jesus following. They love Jesus while their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Plenty of them have died from cancer and will die from cancer. That's a reality. Plenty of people who love Jesus, they serve Jesus, they have faith in Jesus, and they're never going to be able to have children naturally. How cruel is it? 
to look at them and say, well, if you just had more faith, it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not about quantity. Biblical faith is about the object of your faith. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's be careful. So when you have the faith that God can heal and he doesn't, can you still cry out that he is good and that you trust him? That's biblical faith. Jesus heals this boy. It's not hard for him. So a crowd's coming in, right? And so he heals, he heals the boy because so he sees a crowd coming in. The man, he dives into a house. He's like, the crowds were pressing on him. And he had to teach his disciples something. And his disciples, they're around. Okay, they're away from the crowds. Can you imagine this? They were unable to heal. Jesus comes in, boom, and does it. And the disciples are like, dude, why couldn't we do that? Jesus like you told, like you told us we had the power to do that. Why couldn't we do that? Jesus says this. Okay, profound. Get your pencils out. Ready? Jesus says, you didn't pray. True faith is faith that prays. See, the disciples got, they, they wandered, they drifted from their reliance upon God. Hill City Church, God's blessing us. There's fruit everywhere. Makes no sense to, listen, those, doesn't make sense, does it? Any fruit in ministry only happens because of Jesus and reliance upon him. And when we pray, prayer recognizes that. Jesus told, listen, Jesus, look, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, this church goes away, it fails. There is never a time, there's never ever a time when we should not come before the Lord as needy children. Needy hearts, that's our reality. To pretend otherwise is pride. And a humble heart will never ever stop praying. And you need to know something. I'm as needy today. I need Jesus 
as much today as I did on the day that I passed from death to life. See, prayer is how that plays out. And prayer makes no sense to the proud. Prayer makes no sense to the proud. By 2026, we pray that this is true of us. This is our 2026 vision that we launched in the fall of 2022. The reputation of Hill City, the very first sentence, Hill City Church is marked by our authenticity that drives us to joyful dependence on God through prayer. If that sentence doesn't happen, who gives a rip about the rest of this vision? We're going to start prayer nights in June. Just, put it, just be looking for it. Put it on your calendar. We're going to come here and we are going to pray. That's it. We're going to pray. Okay, we have a lot of new people. Hundreds of us. Our phones every day. An alarm goes off at 10.02. Why? Because Luke chapter 10 verse 2 says the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. So listen, I'm just telling you, you have a lot of new people here. The best thing, look, you just need to get out your phones. If this is going to be your church, you need to get out your phones and you need to set a 1002 alarm. And every day when it goes off, you pray and ask that the Lord would do his work and that he would send laborers into the harvest. That's not just a college thing. Kingdom greatness is found in humility. It's found in humble service. And it's found through humble prayer. If you're serving communion, I want you to go to your places. And I skipped it on purpose, but listen. One of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture is in Mark chapter 9. Now, maybe that's my opinion, but I skipped it on purpose. But I want to come back to it. Jesus looks at this hurting father and he says, All things are possible for one who believes. And in verse 24, this father didn't even hesitate. He says, Immediately, the father like, responds to what Jesus says right there. What's he say? Immediately the father of a child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. There I am. There I am. Anyone else, anyone else struggle at times with some unbelief? Oh, I do. Where are you at today? Jesus, I believe that you can heal my marriage, help my unbelief. 
Jesus, I believe that you can save my son or my daughter who is far from you right now. I believe that you can do it, but Lord, help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe that you can deliver me from this sin struggle that I've had for years. Help my unbelief. I need to hear the kind voice of our king today. He knows the struggle. He's so gracious. And the beautiful part of it is is that he went to the cross and actually died for our lack of faith. He's so good. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our example. Thank you that he's so faithful that he shows us what greatness is. God, make that real to every person in this place today. It's in your name I pray, amen.